Seize Your Mind, the podcast about soccer, mental toughness, and life. I'm your host, Brandon Stone. Today we have Stuart Sharp and David Garza. Stuart is the head coach of the U.S. Paralympic soccer team, and David is one of his players. Guys, how are you? Uh, Doing great, Brandon. Thanks for having us on here. Really appreciate that top you're wearing there. It looks as if we've maybe worn each other's wardrobe because obviously I'm from Scotland, so I appreciate the the Scotland badge and and the top that you're wearing today. I put it on just for you, Stuart. Loving it. Loving it. David, how are you? Fantastic, sir. Thanks for having us on. I'm excited. Uh, I mean, the shirt is brilliant. Uh, wink, wink, Coach Stewart. I'm sure uh, send it to you so you can wear it just for this podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, no comment. No comment. <laughs> All right, so uh, Stewart, I want you to let's start off with you. Uh, tell me how the uh, how you got involved with Paralympic sports and you know, how'd you get to where you are now? Yeah, for for sure. So um, I I first started in, in Paralympic sport in, in Scotland. Uh, I, I was from a, a mainstream soccer background. I worked in the professional youth game, and I was given the opportunity to be uh, the inaugural uh, national development manager for disability soccer in, in Scotland. So I had the remit from grassroots level right away to international level. Um, and I did that for eight years, and I was doing some consultation with UEFA and the Asian Football Confederation at the time. And, um, and then, out of the blue, I get the opportunity to do uh, something outside of soccer, but still similar, uh, was to travel to America and, and work on a project with the Department of State and uh, the UN Sports Development and Peace. And I traveled the world uh, doing conflict resolution through sport. Uh, so in Russia, Jordan, um, uh, Haiti, all these countries. Uh, and then, uh, in 2014, uh, U.S. Soccer asked me if I would like to interview for the role that I'm in just now, which is the, the head coach of the, the Paris Seven Aside team. So soccer has been a constant throughout my life, you know, from a young kid growing up with a ball. My dad played uh, national team level, youth national team level in Scotland. Uh, that was always encouraged with me. I, I managed to have a decent pro youth career. Uh, so that continued. And then I get into coaching. And then disability coaching and, uh, and my pathway continued to where I am just now. Tell me a little bit more about that uh, conflict resolution with soccer. Yeah, so it wasn't just with soccer. It was, it was across all sports, but basically using uh, sport and, and sometimes soccer. In Jordan, it was soccer. Uh, using the sport as a vehicle for change. So, for, for example, in, in Jordan, uh, we... We, used, uh, we worked with the physical education department there and we were using the uh, sport as a vehicle to integrate Syrians who had been displaced by war into Jordanian society. Uh, that, that was the first part of the project. And then we re- actually realized the Syrians coming across the border uh, weren't always on the same page with each other. So we, the project kind of pivoted slightly and we used sport um, as a way of bringing the Syrians together before integrating them. And, and what that basically mean was this, the sport was breaking down the, the barriers. So people would start to talk, we would train them alongside each other, and people from different backgrounds would train kids from different backgrounds. And, you know, just softening uh, the approach and realizing that we're, we're all the same, you know, despite our 
political or um, or a race or allegiances. So we were using sport to do that. That's very interesting. Very fascinating. Um, one of the things I love about soccer is that it unites people everywhere. And um, separates them. <laughs> <laughs> and separates them. Yes, yes. But, um, you know, I've, I've made so many friendships and contacts through soccer that I never would have, you know. So um, it's really cool, though, that pro project you worked on. Um, David, let's uh, switch over to you. How did you get into the team? Tell me about growing up, what it was like. Yes, sir. So I, I have probably the most ironic story when it comes to the team. So growing up in San Diego, California, um, there's three Olympic train centers across the country in the United States. You have one in Chula Vista, California. You have one in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And then you have one in Lake Placid, New York. So growing up 10, 15 minutes away from the Olympic train center in Chula Vista, California, I went to elementary, high school, middle school, all the way up. Uh, growing up, played soccer. It was one of the last organized sports. I grew up playing baseball, football, basketball. And um, luckily enough, I was pushed to go play soccer at the age of seven. And uh, what, lo and behold, being the last one of the organized sports I played into uh, was went from all the way from YMCA to AYSO, we're moving up the ranks to club soccer. And before Coach Stewart's time, we had Coach Jay Hoffman, who would, uh, just like Coach Stewart does, whenever we do have training camps with local club teams, as a Paralympic national team, it's hard enough to already find a competition across, you know, the, the world, let alone inside the United States to find some kind of like competitive level. So we have to find teams like, you know, we have a good competitiveness to get us, help us grow as a team as a whole. So as a under 13 or 14, so 12, 13 year old uh, youth player, I was invited to the Olympic Training Center down in San Diego and played against the Paralympic national team as a Athlete at the time, I was the captain of my little youth club team, and uh, Coach Hoffman just enjoyed the way I got along with the Paralympic players at the time. Where it's funny because we even have players that are still there, as in like Adam Ballou, we had Chris Aarons, um, and all those players going up. And the players I even I grew up playing against them when I was a youth level, playing at the club level. Uh, got in a very uh, bad accident after my freshman year of uh, college. Um, J Coach Hoffman was helping me get move up the ranks as an ODP level. He actually wanted me to move to Virginia to go you know, play club soccer with him with his Virginia Rush team. But luckily enough, he pushed me to go through college soccer. And um, from there, after my freshman year, I got in a pretty bad car accident. From there, Coach Hoffman, it was, I don't know, timing's everything. Uh, I truly, truly believe that everything happens for a reason. And when I got uh, told that, you know, soccer wasn't always going to be a thing anymore for me, I felt another route for me where my dad was an enlisted soldier inside the United States Navy from Houston, Texas, moved to, out to San Diego. That's where his first station was at. I uh, thought about joining the military route. And in San Diego, California, at the Olympic Training Center, they had an all-world military team where they go out to a World Cup every year, just like how we have it in you know, FIFA have it every four years. So it's where all four branch, five branches come in with the, national, with the Coast Guard, Army, Navy, Marines, Air Force, and they all play together for Team USA. So they only have about a week or two training camp. So they had played against a semi-pro team in San Diego. And I went out to go look at them play to see, oh, well, how does this really even work? And right after the game, the uh, Paralympic national team were training right after the game. 
and say, hey, David, I heard you got in a bad car accident. I heard you're trying to rehab and whatnot. I know you only live 10, 15 minutes away. Why don't you get your boots and come back in? Uh, one thing led to another. I guess the way I was running, the way I was falling over a little easier than I was before. Let me see your paperwork. So I'm like, are you sure, coach? It's about 50 pages long. <laughs> your medical history. <laughs> exactly, sir. So after all the surgeries and whatnot that happened during that accident, um, he took a look at it. Uh, after the novel he read, I suppose, he said, hey, why don't you keep coming training over here? I thought it was just for me to be rehabbing and, you know, the beautiful training grounds, the Olympic Training Center, uh, also known as heaven for me, just to be able to grow up from, like, baseball fields and dirt to, like, playing at the beautiful fields I've ever seen this in general, let alone in San Diego. So from there, uh, training with them last week, it was last probably the last week of July, first week of August, I get a call from the manager at the time. Hey, are you busy tomorrow? Well, yeah, Dana, I was hoping that uh, I would still be training with the guys. We're like, well, I'm sorry. You're ex they're actually going to be out of town. They're going to be going to, to Barcelona, Spain. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, thanks for having me. It's been fun. We're like, well, no, we're hoping you have your passport because we want to bring you with us so we can help classify you. And at 20 years old, my heart dropped to my stomach. And uh, as Did you have your passport? <laughs> oh, yeah. So as cool as a collector, I was like, yeah, I, I have it. I have a passport. I was glad you had it. He normally, he normally, forgets, <laughs> he normally forgets his passport. He might have it, but he's left it a few times. <laughs> Sorry, James. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that was the story of how it all came along. So you got you to Barcelona. Yes, sir. Barcelona, yeah. I was 20 years old. Uh, it was, I don't know, I, definitely eye-opening, and it was a dream come true. It, it didn't hit me at first. Uh, I mean, still to this day, I pinch myself. Um, whenever uh, training, whenever we got to wear this crest, you know, above our heart and whatnot, and as cliche as it is, it's, it's still, you know, eight years later playing with this team, and it's still uh, my heart's beating out of my chest anytime I hear, like, the, our national anthem before the game. And uh, for me, as a player, I feel like the moment that goes away, I feel like that's the moment I need to retire from the game. But uh, still having this to this day is a uh, great motivation for me and a lot of my teammates. That's awesome. Um, did you get to go to Cup now? Uh, unfortunately, not at that time. Um, so it was the next time with Coach Stewart. Uh, he gave us the, you know, the pleasure and amazing time to walk around to go see the, the locker rooms go sit down where they have their press conferences. We took pictures and all that fun stuff. It, it was definitely breathtaking, to say the least. That's great. That's cool. I haven't been there. Um, <laughs> Stuart, explain a little bit about what qualifications it takes as a player to um, to be able to play for your team. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good question, and it's something that comes up a lot. Uh, so, so actually, to, to – to kind of expand a little bit, we, we rebranded our team about um, eight, 18 months ago from Paralympic team to Para Seven Aside team. And one Para, the, say that again? Para Seven Aside. Seven Aside, okay. Yeah. And, and one of the reasons is because of this question, because uh, when people heard the word Paralympic, uh, they, they often thought paraplegic, they thought Special Olympics, and it was a little bit confusing for everyone who, who could make it onto the team. So, so it's a similar side team, and uh, to qualify, players either need to have cerebral palsy, been born with cerebral palsy, uh, have had a stroke, 
or like David, had a traumatic brain injury. And, and from that, uh, there has to be a, a level of motor dysfunction. And, and what I mean by that, to, to play for the team, it's nothing to do with your cognitive ability. David, you know, has uh, gone through college. We have players with master's degrees, um, you know, right the way through to, to players who have uh, got high school diplomas and gone on and had great, great work um, within their, their, their chosen profession. But the, the main thing is motor dysfunction, meaning somebody with cerebral palsy it might be they might walk slightly up on their toe, or there might be a weakness or a tightening of a limb. Uh, same with somebody with a stroke, very similar. Uh, and then someone with a traumatic brain injury, someone asked me today, could they qualify? They had a traumatic brain injury. And, and I said simplistically um, how that would manifest themselves. It might be a little bit of balance issues, even though your body, like David, compensates fantastically on the field. You would never know unless you were trained to, to, to see it. But uh, some balance issues or, or maybe some slight shaking when you, know, you were doing some fine motor control uh, would, would be how, how you would see those three disabilities manifest themselves as impairments. So again, cerebral palsy, stroke, traumatic brain injury are, are the disabilities and the impairments, you know, as I say, tightening of the arm or, or shaking or balance would be how, how you would classify to, to make the team. Let's say someone's listening to this now and they're like, hmm, I wonder if I qualify, I wonder if I can try out, what would the process be there? Yeah, so obviously with, with the national team and we, we now uh, we're, we're holding tryouts for once we get through this pause in the game, holding tryouts for the women's national team as well. Um, the, the first stage is, is a video tryout. So they would, they would contact myself we would give them a very easy list of, of um, activities to do, uh, very straightforward. From that, we would then make a decision whether or not to bring them into an identification camp. And, um, and then from there, they, they may make the national team. It's a very competitive process uh, in terms of, you know, we can only take, uh, you know, 16 players into a national team camp and we've got established players like David. So uh, it's competitive. And, but I will say if, if people reach out, and maybe they're not at that level for national team yet, we, we can help to support them to get that level, or we can um, put them in contact with our member organization, which is CP Soccer US, and they can maybe play the game at a, a local level. You know, We can't all be national team players, uh, but certainly we have, that, we have that pathway for them. Okay, and then would, is there a website they could go to? Or? Yeah, so, uh, so CP Soccer US, uh, mm -hmm. if, if you Google that, first of all, that will take you to, to their website. Uh, the best way to, to get in contact with our programs, I always say, is through social media, because people tend to use that more than the traditional websites. Uh, so our, our handles are all the same. It's uh, ussoccer underscore PNT. And uh, if someone starts following that and sends a private message, or they can contact uh, our department, which is extended NT at ussoccer.org, uh, they can send an email and we can, we can get in contact with them. Cool, I'll have that in the uh, comments down below. Um, Great. So I'll add that later. Um, David, tell me about how your playing changed from before the accident to now and how hard it was to adapt. That's honestly a great question because when they hear Paralympic soccer, or just in soccer in general, of course you think 11 aside. So with Paralympic soccer, it's seven aside. 
Same size field? And no, it's a little bit smaller. Uh, but I promise you, I feel like I'm running a lot more in a seven-a-side field. And the main reason why, the rules are also changed. There's no offsides in seven-a-side mm-hmm. soccer. So as a normal center back, uh, I have to deal with the cherry pickers it's in Paralympic soccer and uh, being able to always be observant of the ball. Um, I like to be like coaches, assistant coach on the field and be as vocal as possible to try to see everything I can and try to help out our players and position them. Uh, it's almost like I'm playing FIFA in a way um, on my video game system and trying to position people. But uh, yeah, always keeping aware of someone behind me because they're allowed to be there. And to have that kind of mind switch is definitely a huge difference than the 11-side game of an offside trap or being able to read the game that way. Um, but for me, playing-wise, it's there's only – so that you, you have you, whoever's on the ball has six other options besides trying to take on everyone themselves. So being able to position yourself to always be able to receive the ball. Um, I've been lucky and very blessed enough to play a lot of positions, all, every position almost now in, on an 11-a-side uh, game, and as well as from goalie to you know, center back to outside back to center mid to a striker. So being able to like read a position and be able to swap out, I think Coach Stewart is doing a tremendous job for us now. So almost how we have it in the NBA now. We have positionless soccer, positionless basketball. That's how we, people, every player on this team needs to be able to play this game. It's to be able to switch in and out of positions and be able to feel comfortable and receive the ball. So being able to have an angle and position myself to receive the ball at any time uh, to give support to the player on the ball is something huge that is a big difference than the 11 side game. There's no breaks in seven aside. Gotcha. I guess the, the bad news is you only have six options. The good news is they only have seven players too. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That kind of balances out. Um, what about um, physically? Have you had to make a lot of adjustments? Yeah, I think Coach Stewart hit the nail on the head when he says, like, the way I run and stuff, uh, the way I'm able to uh, balance that out. I, it's funny, balance that out, yet I don't have balance. And I don't notice it. It's, uh, it's something to the trained eye. Um, even to myself, what is I, – I, I think in the world we live in, we all have our own type of normal. So this is my new normal. And for me, when someone says I do it differently, I, for me, at first glance, I'm like, wait, how? Like, to me, that's how I normally do it. If I'm balancing, like, have my hand up higher than my other hand to be able to balance, or I need to be able to look at the ground at one piece of grass or whatever the case may be to keep me balanced and focused at all times. It's something that uh, before, like, I used to have to – like, if I'm standing up to put my shoe on, I would have to like, have my head against a pole or my hand against a pole in order to keep my balance besides before I'm falling over. Um, that kind of stuff is like normal to me, but of course everyone else is abnormal. So having that kind of physical uh, awareness now, it helps with the trained eye. Stuart, what have you done to help um, your players improve their confidence, um, especially the newer players? Uh, stop shouting at them. No. <laughs> no. Uh, like, yeah. <laughs> stop shouting them apart from David. Uh, yeah. No. The, you know, co- coaching is coaching. We, we all have um, our, our different methodologies and, and how you develop uh, a, a training session. And I'll answer your question on confidence in a moment, but it, it kind of falls into this. So, like, when you develop a, a, a training session, you know, you, you make that decision. Do you go simple to co- complex? You know, do you build up the training session to finish in the, the game? Or do you throw players into a game situation straight away? 
and, and see how they cope with that. So there, there's different ways that you can do that. Um, co coaching is in the psychology of, of coaching go, goes around that. Um, at, at certain moments, if you're if you're trying to get across a, a new new idea, a new concept, um, I, I may decide to go the simple to complex route. Uh, and if I'm doing that, really at the beginning of the periodization chart, you know, at the beginning of the season, or as we we actually had an 18 month tactical change, uh, I I gave the the guys a lot of uh, direct uh, instruction, um, but you know, and but enough room to make the mistakes. But I wasn't feeding back too much on those mistakes. As we moved through this new change in tactics, we had I became more intense with them. Uh, you know, pinpointing individual errors or asking them more so where where they thought they should be, so those situations wouldn't arise again. So, so I, I think uh, it's a complex answer as complex question to answer in terms of just you know what do I do to help one person's confidence you know it's I I look at it from a global perspective how I design my training sessions to how I interact with with the players off the field to how I interact with the players when they're outside of outside a training camp and off the field might be an example sometimes I turn up in the training room uh, to kid on I'm over there trying to get some snacks a lot of time I am but I might just hang around to just listen to to hear the interactions amongst players, uh, to see who's always in there, and it might be they're in there because they're feeling great, and uh, or it might be in there that they're needing a hug off the the athletic trainer. So I clock that and I go back to it later, uh, and and likewise outside the training camp, there's certain players that I'll I'll text on a weekly basis, and there there's certain players that I know to to leave alone, and uh, but if I text them and I get a certain response I'll, I'll call them so it's all down to man management and uh, I, I wouldn't say there's anything I specifically do with with uh, the para players uh, that I wouldn't do with any other any other player you know uh, I think mainly the uh, experienced players like David when a new player comes in uh, the culture that they have within and the culture that we have but the players really live it and uh, make people play, feel welcomed but then push them on the field. So I, I just try to foster that environment and, and direct it a little bit from the, um, from the background or the periphery, because I think that's the, the important thing as well. Tell me more about the culture of the team and how you develop that. Yeah, so uh, first of all, I, I would say uh, very cliche, but I say cliches are there because they're repeatable circumstance. Uh, we we are a very proud team. Um, we are a, a team that and we're we're proud of this. That a team that never stops, never never gives up. Uh, a team that is a collective unit. Do we're like a family? Uh, do do we have arguments? Yeah, we do. But do do we know when to to get it together? Uh, either in in front of opponents or when the when we need to 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 get us through adversity. Yeah, we can do that. Um, you know, so I think we have a very tight culture, a very welcoming culture, but uh, also I would say a progressive one that's never happy with where we are just now. It's a, it's a group of players that will welcome new players in, help to develop them, but really a team that wants to go on and win, and, um, and that, that's, the, that's the focus of, of what we try to foster. David, can you add to that at all? 
Yes, sir. So I've been with Coach Stewart since his first day of training camp with our team. It was January 2014. Um, first thing he did was sit us down, and we had a culture of rules and set of what he expected from us. But as someone in the military um, and growing up in the military, friends and family like my father and stuff, I grew up with a lot of NCOs, which are non-commissioned officers that are people in charge and like are a lot more, uh, they're the more of the drill sergeants and stuff like that. So me as an officer, uh, it's a different ranking system. Uh, even though my rank overall is higher than them, even from my first day compared to how many years they've been in, uh, they've made sure to keep me humble. And with Coach Stewart's culture, I think that mindset, uh, what he said was also perfect, was progressively changing. Um, just like in the world we live in now, that yeah, history does repeat itself, but also we need to be able to progressively change and accept and understand from the mistakes. The one thing that I've always really hit on for my seven years of this team is the mindset of adapting and thriving. Uh, just look at the situation we are now in the world epidemic when it comes to COVID-19 and how we're adapting and changing where we could have Zoom calls now, the 21st century, and have these interactions and have these with our players and our teammates and our coaching staff and be able to go and, hey, how can I work on this when I'm at home and stuff like that. Just because we are stuck at home, you know, in order to hopefully cure this, at least we could, or stop the spread of it, we could at least keep training. Um, for a lot of us, like, uh, I've been very blessed to have this be my full-time job now and to know that, like, not to take it for granted and to understand that at the end of the day, I'm playing the game of soccer, the game I love, so why not try to do the best I can any chance I can? Um, for me, uh, yeah, being there, uh, one of the longest tenure players with Coach Stewart since day one and uh, being one of his co-captains, I was always there to make sure that a help be a lending hand in any new player, if they have any questions. Um, we've been, he, Coach Stewart has been a very intelligent in the way he selects the co-captains and um, people that are respected by the fellow other players on the team so they can understand if they have any questions, they can feel welcoming. It's the chain of command system as we use in the military of how, if you would, don't reach Coach Stewart. Uh, uh, the more and more, like you've hit on him, the question before was, how do you motivate each player? Uh, I can't give enough credit to coachings nowadays. I used to think that they were just full-time babysitters when I first, you know, played soccer or just any sport growing up. But to have to deal with so many, uh, like we say, we, we travel with 14 players. But then you still have the coaching staff and you still have any assistants or uh, photographers or medical team staff. There's a lot of personalities that one person has to be the overall in charge of. So being able to not just lead your players, but all, overall the rest of the staff, because you need that whole team to be collective and to be able to do and reach their full potential in order to reach the overall goal is something I have so much respect for in a job that more and more I almost don't want to do. <laughs> but um, I think lastly is like uh, everyone's been watching The Last Dance. It's a Michael Jordan documentary that's been on ESPN every Sunday. It's unfortunately ended now. Um, I like to say Coach Stewart is, in a way, has a Phil Jackson mantra where he allows players to be themselves. Like he said that he, there's some players that need a lending hand and need to be texted every day, every week to make sure that they're doing well and that they're okay and that they're cared for. Uh, there's other players. Um, I wouldn't say I'm a, I am a Dennis Rodman, but there's other players that need to have a time where they need to be them. And that doesn't always mean that they have to be a full-time 24-7 soccer player that they can uh, they're allowed to be themselves and that's he knows at the end of the day that they'll be there whenever they cross that white line onto the pitch that they'll be 
100% for the team and do whatever it takes to be there to accomplish that one dream. I think Zoom just popped up saying they're giving me more than 40 minutes, so. Perfect. They're loving the conversation. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you spoke about continually, continuously improving. Where does that drive to continually want to get better come from? I, I think on an individual level, uh, I guess I can answer that for just speaking for myself. Um, my mantra of life, I, I'm, if you ask anybody on this team or just my life, uh, I'm super competitive um, where I hate losing more than I love winning. So that kind of goal and drive for me is like, I'm going to push and push in order to continue to improve and be the best that I can be. Um, I, and when it comes to my car accident stuff, I had a second chance of life. And to hear that over and over again and to, you know, really recognize that and to say it out loud is one thing, but to truly live it and mean it, um, I think that that's where a lot of these players on this team has had a second chance or grew up or were born with a quote-unquote disadvantage. But a lot of people on this team now don't, don't look at it that way. It's, it's just a mindset that we have that, okay, you doubt us, but um, first being on this team, we were eight in the world, nine in the world. Now we're fourth in the world. And with that seven-year difference of, you know, moving up the ranks and being at the highest rank that U.S. Paralympic soccer has ever been, uh, that kind of motivation was, is huge because the first thing that Coach Stewart said, all right, what, what's the rank that you guys want to get into when we're, you know, set and done with my tenure here? And everyone said number one, and this is the way to go about it. It's not going to come up tomorrow. It's not going to come up next week, but it's going to take a day-by-day -day challenge that builds onto the building block of becoming number one. And hopefully, surely, that one day we will get there, but uh, at least we know that we're building little goals in mind to knock out in order to feel motivated to continue knowing that we are doing the right path to becoming to our overall dream goal of becoming number one in the world. Who is number um, one now? Number one right now is uh, Ukraine. If I remember correctly, they, them in Russia um, were always very competitive as well as Russia not being in the Paralympics in 2016 due to their, uh, let's say, illegitimate use of um, <laughs> fluids. Um, as overall country, but uh, yeah, them, Iran, Brazil are the top four teams that I have ever faced and will look forward to playing anytime I can. Um, it's definitely always a competitive match and it's, it's crazy. If you ask any player 10 years ago about the U.S. being competitive, let alone beating a team like we have against Iran or Brazil, who we've actually beat for the first time in coach's tenure and my career has been Brazil now twice has been Iran, has gone to overtime with Iran, so losing in the in extra time. Uh, to be known as the U.S. competitive against these type of countries and teams is unheard of. Um, so f to know that as a player myself, for being as tenured, even as a current player, or even before this when I was just a youth uh, club player, practicing with the guys when they are at the Olympic Training Center, uh, has always given me great motivation to keep pushing forward. Stuart, what can you add to that? And from, for your, yeah, your personal, uh, where does that come from for you? I've got to say from, I suppose, first of all, from a, a personal perspective, um, I've, I've got to always be the best. Um, and, you know, g growing up, uh, I, had, I had a great family background, everything else, but I, I grew up in a real, uh, you know, blue collar high school environment that, People would say no to you. People would put barriers up, and you you had to be brave to overcome them. 
you know, and, and even in, in my early part of my career, uh, a lot of people said no to me. I, you know, I, I don't know, David knew this, you know, the first, I didn't go straight to college. I was, uh, I was stacking shelves and, and someone said that I, I couldn't progress uh, any further than that. And I was um, a car park uh, attendant and security guard. So I decided that wasn't enough for me. So I went to college, went to university, and, and then went to America um, and, and progressed from there. So I hate the word no. Uh, anytime I see a barrier, I feel as if that, that barrier is there for a reason. It's there to be overcome. And, and, um, and that's just my, my personal drive. I, I can't stop. Um, I'm also someone that uh, immerses himself in, in a project. And I've always done this. So from my very first job coming out of, of university, I was the... P sport coordinator for a city, you know, uh, very first job that I, I was, I got that, um, and I threw myself into it to to the next job with the Scottish Football Association, to the job with the Department of State UN, to this one that I, I want to see how far I can can push a project and, and push myself to make it successful, and then from a team perspective, uh, the thing I love about uh, my current job and. And being in the locker room, I'm just speaking about the team now, being in the locker room, I will never, ever stand up there and, and tell the guys um, what it's like to be uh, an American. Go and push yourself to be an American. That, that's not my job to do that. I didn't grow up within that culture. I'm, I'm within the culture of the dressing room, but I didn't grow up within the U.S. culture. What I did do is grew up in, in the culture, you know, you're wearing a the shirt there, the Scottish culture. And, um, and we have this... We call it the wee man culture. We, we're always looking at the guy up there and trying to fight our way up. And I was, and I think from the U.S. perspective, they, they have another struggle. They're used to people having them on a pedestal and seeing them as a the number one and trying to pull them down. So what I love is marrying the two of them together. Hopefully some of my personality comes out in, in the team. And, uh, and likewise, I, I can pull, up, uh, pull some of the 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 fantastic traits that the U.S. culture has and, and the players within the, the locker room have and, and, um, and add that to, to my, um, my, my toolboxes. You know, I've got to grow. I've got two young kids. I want them to grow up within this culture. So I suppose personal drive and also the drive that the, the locker room and, and what our team has to, to be number one. Let's talk about being number one. Um, that's obviously a, a long-term goal you've set. Um, what are some other goals, Stuart, for the, the team you have set? And then, David, personally for you. Well, I suppose to get to put that in context, um, so our, we beat Brazil and, and Iran uh, recently. Uh, and the year that I, the year before I took over, and this has nothing to do with the previous coach or previous players because everything evolves, but this shows you the progress of the players in the team. Um, you know, that Iran would maybe beat uh, the US team nine, nine goals to zero. Uh, I, I inherited a lot of those players, some great players, a uh, very good coach that worked with them. And our vision was to continue that progression, you know, go from nine to five zero to four zero to now, to now beating them. Um, so that's the seven years that we've got to there. Um, what's our next step? And, and our short-term goals, I think our short-term goals will be to get uh, a medal at the, the next World Championship uh, or World Cup. Uh, you know, hopefully gold, but, you know, I think a medal. We've never medaled. Uh, so that, that would be a big one. 
Is that and, scheduled yet? Do they have to reschedule it? Or? Yeah, it's rescheduled, so it's, it's, it's moved a year. Um, so that the top nations all, all regroup next year in, in Italy. And then on our regional level, when we go to Copa America, uh, this team's won uh, silver and bronze, and we've yet to win gold. So we want, want to make sure that uh, we, we get a gold medal. Cool. David? Yes, sir. So uh, individual basis, um, I get a lot of quality of being told that I'm very mechanical in the way I like to live my life and how um, I'm very structured, I guess. And that grew up with the military. And honestly, for me, I think college isn't about whoever the smartest person in the room is. I think it's whoever's the most structured and is able to be pri and prioritize um, in a way where getting schoolwork done, test quizzes, whenever you know uh, your schedule is for your classes, you make sure that you need to do that. And it's kind of like getting, that's why they, I think they call it homework because that's, it's still work. And getting that done the best of your ability or the ability of what your teacher, AKA a boss, would want you to do and you do that to the fullest extent of being successful, you'll get a good grade. Um, with that being said, uh, being able to know that and structure my life that way, and it's like, all right, cool, I have uh, PT. I was also known as physical training with the Army during my college years at you know, 5.30 in the morning. I'm gonna be done at 7 a.m. I can go home, shower, I can eat my breakfast, I'm in bed, back to take a little 30-minute nap at 8 o'clock, 8.30 comes around. I have class at 9 in the morning. I'm class at 2.11, have a lunch break, get into if I have work on campus and all the other stuff. But for me, as a soccer player, um, growing up more and more, it's funny how I, uh, you grow up into like, not almost being like your parents, but in the way where you understand. Like uh, For me, I don't think maturity is based on age. I think it's based on experience. And um, depending on how you grow up and whatnot, like coach with a blue-collar background, um, me at the accident at an early age and the child that I lived, I lived a great childhood with my family, but able to push you to understand that like, you got to work no matter how much talent you have in the world, no matter how great you are, uh, you know, without a gym session or whatever the case may be, you still got to put in that work and sacrifice. So having little goals of um, how we have with our strength and conditioning coach of being able to push 225 on the bench press by the third quarter of the year, um, having uh, a certain amount of water bottles. I literally number my water bottles every day. I'm drinking six 32-ounce bottles every day in order to know that I'm reaching my goal. Just little things like that, uh, for me, is how I grow as an individual and as a player. Um, under understanding with stretching. Um, this <laughs> unicorn of a word, uh, that's called a rest. I used to never really believe in it. Uh, Coach Stewart was the first one to really push that on me. Um, I was 20 uh, when, I, when I met Coach Stewart, and uh, I think that's also something that he gave me as a huge humbling experience. It was the first training camp and it was going really well in Los Angeles. And the next month of February 2014, we were playing England and we had Olympic tra we were at the Olympic Training Center. And um, the last day of practice, and I shake his hand and I said, thank you, coach. I'll see you next month. And with a stern, with a, you know, a very stern grip and like look at my eyes like well that's if you get selected so that kind of stuff is like very, keeps you like uh pushing and motivating which is huge and i i appreciate that like how coach says like there's so many different ways of how to inspire or motivate players some like to be coddled or need to be, need a friend as a coach for me i need that intensity i need someone yelling at me that, that was my childhood that was me as an athlete as a family member and whoever it wasn't i didn't find it disrespectful i found it like you cared to see that passion that fire in your eyes and, and in your voice and it, it showed me that it meant something to you so it should mean something to me and um 
being around team sports since I was five years old and just being, a, uh, just in my ethnicity. Yes, I'm a full bred American just person, uh, citizen, all that. But I'm also coming from a Hispanic background where family's first. So having that kind of family culture uh, that we've thrown into this team, but just me as an individual has always pushed me to like, all right, if it means something to you, it means something to me. So I need to do this in order to the best of my abilities to you know, make sure that we get this done. Um, so that kind of like fire under me from coach and from whoever is something that pushes me to, you know, reach little goals to hopefully, you know, create that big goal. So that, that definitely the motivation for me. Well, um, that must have been a, a good challenge for him to be like, if you make it. <laughs> yeah. I'll let him speak about it. <laughs> yeah, there was no one else available for the next training camp. Yeah. <laughs> They would, they would get back in, but no, I mean, David was a hard worker, you know, and, uh, and, and at different, at different times, you know, David says there the things that he needs as a player and, you know, we've already touched on some things that other uh, players need. Uh, and that, and that's, David spoke about experience and I think that comes from experiences as a coach. I grow every year. Uh, I learn from experiences. Uh, when when you stand in front of a group, um, you've got to feel what the majority of the group needs. It's different individually. Uh, you've got to feel what the majority of the group needs. So sometimes I can stand in front of that group before a certain game or a certain circumstance may have happened in training, and uh, I may need to be a little bit harder. Or uh, and some of them in the group might not take to that that well. Uh, on and the next time. Uh, I might need to be, hey, guys, uh, this didn't go well today. Here's the things we need to do better. It's more of a soft approach. And I know that that won't work for some other players. I'm looking at the eyes of 14 men. And uh, I can see there's, a, there's maybe, if I'm going the soft approach, that there's six men in the room that are saying, why are you cuddling us here? We, we, need, we need hit. Uh, so what you do is you take the majority, you support the majority in the, the locker room, and then you go, you go away, and you take the take the, the individual players and, and speak to them. Uh, so that that's one of the challenges, and I think you learn that as a coach. Is when I first started out, I would just go go in with emotion, and that emotion might be to hug everyone, or that emotion might be to come in and hit everyone. I remember uh, Copa America, David, you might, oh, America's Cup in 2014. Uh, we we beat off Canada, came in at halftime, slammed the door. And uh, and didn't allow any other staff in the room, and uh, and we had a we had a real uh, come come to Jesus moment. Uh, and but but what you realise that that maybe worked for five players in that dressing room and didn't work for the rest. Uh, so you you gotta you gotta manage these things uh, and the emotion of the entire group, and then as the individuals as well. It's like you need to have two different <laughs> sessions, yeah, two different uh, meeting, meeting meetings. Uh, no, not not really. Uh, as again, it goes goes to experience. Now uh, I, I feel as if, and of course, no one's uh, no one's perfect, and, and I'm far from from saying I am. You just try to to read the read the room, uh, what the majority need, and and then you know if I need to pull David aside later and say, hey. Uh, David, hey, I gave I gave you a go there, but I just need this little bit extra from you. Or I might be pulling David aside. Say, I gave everyone 
uh, we need to do a little bit better here, but I need a lot more out of you. That that was a bad game, you know. Uh, you know, and, and give them structure and how to, to improve it. So I think good management is speaking to the group and then individually uh, managing your players. I think that's what people say all the time, man management. You know, man management is standing in the locker room. That's not how you get, I'm on my soapbox now, but see when you see these videos then and it's this rah-rah speech before a game, that's not what that, that isn't why that manager gets the result. That's, that's the last thing he says. How the manager gets his result is what they have done on the build-up to that game, uh, and working with the players on the field or, or speaking to them individually. That rah-rah is just the icing in the cake. Maybe sometimes for the cameras, maybe sometimes just to build some spike emotion. But that's not what makes a coach. That's good insight because uh, I think a lot of coaches think there that you know there is so much weight on that little free speech, but it's like, you're right. It's all the, the work before that's come before that. I think, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. That, that, that speech is 0.5 of the work. If, if, uh, if it was as easy just to do a speech, I don't know why I'd be trained for 18 months heading up to a tournament, you know, uh, the work's got to be done before that. And, and really the, the, the group, the group chat is, isn't for the, the full, the full locker room. It's maybe for one or two who are just needing to hear something before they get out there, or sometimes needing to take their minds off things before they get out there. Then another thing I caught you said was, you say, hey, you didn't do that great in this game, and then you tell them how to improve. You don't just leave it at that. You give them a plan. Yeah, the, the how, I would say, and it's not as, as, as simple. I mean, I did say how, but the how is, uh, you would do it through question. I wouldn't say, if I'll use the example of David, you know, um, you know, if it was something really simple, like, uh, David, you're going down too early, let's try and stay on your feet longer. Let's use that as an example. Uh, we've had these conversations. I might say to him, David, I felt you went down early. Why did, why did you go down early? Now, David might have a reason for it. It might be a good reason, but we would chat around it and say, okay, in that circumstance, what, what could we do to, to make that better? Could we angle our body better? And, and maybe let's not go down until when and see if, if David can then say, well, maybe until he just buy me and I've got no chance in recovering. So rather than telling the, the, the player, because uh, I think that's only a short term, making sure the player understands uh, the reasoning and gets to that reason himself is, is key as well. David, anything to add to that? No, I, I think that's all great stuff and, and I couldn't agree more. Um, one of the biggest mantras that I've learned growing up through the military was you criticize or you, you show support in public and criticize in private. So I think that kind of man management is something coach does very well at is like, yeah. And it's never ever a, a, a beat down where it's criticizing you in a way where it gets personal, where it's like you're taken out of context and you're just like, it's like, well, why, why even criticizing that? That makes no sense. There's always a reason to the madness. Um, and for that, being said, like, yeah, if there's something like the example you use, or if I have, I'm going down too early, okay, so you question, so how do we build that plan to make it better? It's not just to say, just to say it. It's here, how, how do we get to improve you as a player? Like I said, there's always a reason to it. Um, with all that, uh, I think that our players, this is the youngest this team has ever been. And even when I was, I, uh, to put it in perspective, I was the third youngest on the team at 2016 going into the Paralympics. It's only been four years. I'm like the third or fourth oldest on this team now. 
and a lot of that youth being recruited and whatnot. I think it's tremendous, though. I think Coach Stewart has done a great job with social media and being able to use those kind of platforms to put us out there and to be recognized. And U.S. Soccer working tremendously with us now to being broadcasting on the website and whatnot and being one of the top national teams in the whole United States when it comes into being publicized and viewed and how people can you know reach us and see us in that kind of uh, context is something that I think is going – going to lead us into a better and bigger team moving forward. You seem to be a pretty good leader from what I can hear, David. What have you, what advice would you give to someone who wants to be a better leader on the field? Yeah, I, I, I think on the field. So for me, I think it's being able to, just because you're a leader, you have a rank, like I am in the military, doesn't mean that you can't, te- you can't learn anything. Every day I want to learn something. It's being open to it and being able to understand, like ask the questions and to improve as me as a person. So uh, just because I'm a leader doesn't mean you can't be a learner. And I think that uh, learning how coach has like different perspectives and personalities, I gotta, you got to get personal and like in, be able to interact on and off the field. Um, yeah, I get it. Sometimes you want to have like the best of relationships off the field with a certain player. But even in any type of work environment, you have to put those egos and that personalities aside in order to reach an overall goal. So find a middle ground. I think in, uh, to take it into broader and bigger context, like we're all human beings on this earth. And luckily enough, we live in a country where, you know, democracy and the freedom of choice is a thing. You and I can have different perspectives or different answers to a question, but having that type of respect of understanding where you're coming from, even though I don't agree with it, I can understand it and we could find a way to find a middle ground to work together. So being vocal and be able to pick people up when they be picked up and be able to push people the right, the push the right buttons in order to motivate them to be better is uh, it's kind of almost like a, you're being a coach on the field while in the ranking system of the military coaches are commanding officers as an officer in the room while captains on the field or the NCOs trying to push people doing the inaction type of coaching that he wants us to do. So having that hit that home is something huge for me. So that uh, experience you got from the military has really transfer- transferred over, translated over well to soccer world. Yes, sir. But I, it's crazy too, because I've been playing organized sports long before I ever joined the military. Uh, yes, I've had my father and a lot of great friends, even on the team with Seth and Josh, who are both still on the team, even players before Gavin and, and other players like that. I have also recognized that sports is what helped me develop that because no matter the ethnicity, religion, political uh, stance, like we're all in this collectively in a team and we're trying to accomplish one dream in this current moment. So being able to understand where they're coming from and to push them in that way uh, to, you know, mold together instead of, you know, drift apart. So I think it's more sports that helped me become a better leader than, and then it then enhanced that in the military and that humbling, you know, rank system and structure then pushed me to like, you know, the overall dream of being here on the team now with the national team with Coach Stewart. Coach Stewart, what have you done to, to help develop leaders within your organization? Um, with, with players and, you know, players on the field I'll speak about first on the field and then a little bit off off the field and 
on the field, there can be different sorts of leaders. You, you can have the, the shouter, you know, who's shouting instructions. You, you like David, David's a really good, um, it's fantastic to have in the back line as he does because he can direct the play in front of him, both in the defensive uh, out of possession and as well as in possession, good at telling people to move up and, and when to drop in. Uh, so you can have that sort of leadership, which is instructional. Uh, you can also have the, the motivational um, leadership that, you know, they're, they're on, come on, we can do better or you need to do better. And we have players that, that do that. Uh, and then finally, you, you have the, the leadership on the field that's by example. Uh, and for, for that is it's the, the players that aren't afraid to to take the risk in the, the big moments of, of the game, you know, uh, take responsibility in the big moments of the game too. You know, I'll, I'll use an example. You know, there was a player in our team that um, d- during uh, the game against Iran, actually, uh, and I pulled him and, and I said, you're not giving me enough. I need more out of you. Now, he was pissed. But I knew what I was doing at that moment. I knew that that little bit of fire would then go and make him demand the ball, which he then did, and, and make a difference in the game, which he then did. So um, we've got leaders by example, vocal directing leaders, and you know, and, and, and leaders who can you know, just pull everyone together. So we've got that, I think, off the field, and, and we have some, uh, we've got some fantastic co-captains on the team. Uh, as for me, it goes back to culture, create an environment and give the players some space Give the players some space to to make some mistakes, and when they make mistakes, see if they can deal with it. Allow the the chain of command because, like David talked about, the chain of command. When I first took over, everything came directly to me. If there was an issue, now it goes to the experienced players, co-captains or experienced players. It then goes to the administrator. You know, sometimes then it will maybe go to the goalkeeping coach, and they're all making decisions. Should this elevate to to me because it comes to me, maybe I'm going to have to have to make a decision here, and sometimes it does. But allowing those levels, and me allowing those levels, so people have uh, autonomy to make decisions and uh, and feel as if they can make decisions. I think breeds uh, a leadership culture rather than being a dictatorship. And 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 again, that's my first comment. Having the environment so everyone understands what I would want to happen, you know but they, they, they're able to control it in their own ways. I don't know if, David, you would agree with that. Yeah, 100% agreed. Um, with the leadership styles of having, you have the quiet one that leads by example with his actions, or you have the vocal one as well. But yeah, having that structure and, and chain of command is huge because as Coach Stewart already has a lot to deal with, you know, on an everyday basis of putting out a training, you know, plan when it comes to as someone has a lot of, because even though we're just talking about soccer, there's still a thing called life that's going on. And uh, there's a lot of other things moving on that one player might have. And not to say one thing is worse than the other person, but still, like, there's still a lot to handle no matter what. And even though it could be small in our minds, it could be really huge in their minds. So um, not putting things, you know, in ranking systems, but, like, having it where it's just more than him. And he's, he doesn't have to micromanage. And it makes – when he's a lot more calm and relaxed with how we do it and puts the trust in us and to show him that we, he can put that faith in us is something that will make his job easier and then give us the best uh, trainings and 
coaching styles and whatnot that we need as players or even as administrators or medical staff. Awesome, awesome. Um, David, I'll ask you this question first and then Stuart, to wrap up. If you could go back and tell your 18-year-old self one thing, what would it be? Uh, I, I guess, not even guess, I know for a fact. Uh, I've been very blessed with everything in my life and I but the car accident happened in 19 like I said I, I hit on maturity a little bit I don't think it's based on age and I think it's more from experience of you know eight, the older you are the more time you have to experience things but if I had to tell my 18 year old self tell me is like uh, don't take things for granted um, be able to live in the moment we we're a society now yeah I'm glad we live in 21st century where we can snapchat Instagram and whatnot be in our phones but having that personal man-to-man -man connection or, or in that human being connection, be able to interact with people. I think that we're drifting away from that, unfortunately. Um, I, with that being said, and we wear these wristbands because one of our teammates on our team, it's, it simply says three words, never give up. Um, I know yourself going through what you have gone through, sir, and like a lot of players on this team. And like I said before, and just the last question, just because my accident, could look worse than the other person's or vice versa. Uh, that's not how we should look at things. Is at the end of the day, if you go through a bad time, it's still a bad time. So instead of like trying to figure out who's worse, let's try to figure out how we can improve and get better together. Um, to be more of a, a vocal leader that way, uh, I was kind of drifting away from the pair team at first in the name, but growing up now and taking it on and trying to go on any talk show and NBC has been great with me in any type of uh, military interview and speak about the team and how when I was 19, it wasn't physically. I mean, physically got out of the hospital in a wheelchair after my coma and all that good stuff. And I'm looking at all these scars and all, if I look at my x-rays, I have you know, things that hold my jaw together, my knee and whatnot. Physically, I've always been in really good shape because I knew I could work hard and push myself. It was mentally. And I think that that's huge in this generation we live in now is Mental fortitude and health is so much improving. I think Coach Stewart does a fantastic job spreading that across our social media accounts. And for me, I always simply say, a smile is the best disguise anyone can wear. Because if I smile at you 24-7, you're never going to think that anything's wrong. But inside my head, you have no idea. No one's a mind reader, unfortunately. So how are you going to understand if I don't tell you what's going on? And so for me, I think being able to lend a hand and just let people know, hey, I'm here. Speak to me if anything, anything about it. Making them feel comfortable to talk about themselves is, I think, any problems, whatever situation may be, I think it's going to be huge uh, when it comes to, like, helping their growth and of their mental toughness and fortitude. Great. Well, um, David, uh, sometime within the next 15 days, you think we could catch a game of FIFA? Of course, sir. You let me know. <laughs> you, you give me the idea, and I got you, sir. I, I, for, I hope you wear that that Scotland shirt, though, so we can <laughs> a little motivation for me. I might even play <laughs> with Scotland. <laughs> oh, perfect. <laughs> sir, let's switch to you. What word of advice would you give your 18-year-old self? I think it's very hard to to follow David there. Uh, to to be honest, uh, you know. I alluded to it before, uh, but when I was 18, I, I was maybe not the um, on on the right on the right path. Uh, you know, I eventually got onto that path, uh, 
41 years old. Uh, I've traveled the world. I've, I've made a hell of a lot of mistakes. Um, I met my wife. I've got two kids. I'm living in America. I'm speaking to you. Um, I'm feeling pretty healthy apart from a bad back. Um, and all, all, these, all these things from a, a village boy. I came from a small village that I had to get out of. A lot of my, my friends unfortunately didn't. Uh, and I say unfortunately because uh, you know they've taken their some some have taken their own lives because they've just been stuck in in a situation. No, that was a bad village. I should take that back. But village is great. But you know I, I could have been in that circumstance. Of, um, I think the only thing I would do is is I would learn another language. I would I would have at eighteen years old. That's the only thing. Uh, I've had good experiences, bad experiences, uh, you know, I could have said, go to sticking at school quicker, go to university quicker, go to America quicker, do this, do that. Uh, but I don't think I would have experienced uh, life the, the way that I have, uh, you know, and I don't think I would have got the grit and determination to, to succeed if I hadn't gone through and done certain things the hard way. And certain things have, have come to me, but certain things have, have been hard. I would have learned another language. So uh, when David's talking about me in the in the locker room, I know what he's saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, long, long-winded answer to know what David's saying. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, listen, I wouldn't change a thing. Uh, I've, I've been very, I've been very lucky. David used the word blessed. You know, I've, I've been very lucky in my journey. I've been very lucky to do what I do. Very lucky to the people that I've met, uh, good and bad, because it's it's helped me along the way. Uh, I would just say, be, don't don't be afraid. Be be uh, be be yourself. Uh, there's going to be moments that you will doubt yourself, uh, but step step up against that. Push against your your own mind because there's always going to be people out there doubting you. So you gotta you gotta push yourself on even during the, the dark times. And um, and I would say do that and and learn another language. Cool. Guys, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been a great talk. I really enjoyed it. Um, I look forward to uh, playing some FIFA with you, David. Sounds and, good to me. Um, Y'all have a good day. I'll I appreciate touch. it. Thanks, Brandon. Thank you. Cool. Yeah, thank you, sir. I hope you have a great day. Thank you. Bye-bye.